Happy New Year to all the listeners of the Itty Bitty Podcast. My name's Perry. If you're new to the show, thanks for tuning in. If you've been listening, thanks for listening for a little while. So I'm going to try something different here to start the show. I wrote down some stuff here. Um, So as I said before, I'm going to start doing blogs along with each episode. So... Ooh, wow. So we'd be looking out for that. Sorry, this is going to be like pretty long, so I might fuck this up a couple times, but you know what? It's the Itty Bitty Podcast. You guys know it by now. Um, I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Um, It's been a long year, you know, with a lot of highs and lows. Um, I hope everyone is going into the new year with at least a decent attitude. Set some goals for yourself. You know, I'm in no position to preach It's just something I've started doing the past few years. Every year I'll set a few goals and try to achieve those goals each year. It can be something small, you know, even if it's, you know, I'll brush my teeth every day. If you're fucking disgusting and you don't brush your teeth, that could be something that's a simple goal. Um, You know, we like to keep it light on this show and I like to to look into stuff that I like and that, that intrigues me and that's the stuff that I've been a fan of or something I like to look at or, you know, check out, or it's going to be all types of stuff that's going to be coming up in the new year. Um, you know, so I wish I had started doing my goals sooner. Um, without setting goals, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to keep yourself grounded. So, you know, take care of your loved ones, um, in 2020, you know, jerk off more binge watch, you know, binge watch Disney plus, um, in fact, the only reason you should stop this podcast immediately would be to go watch the entire first season of The Mandalorian. Um, maybe start back up at the gym in 2020. Um, stay at it, you know. Do whatever fucking makes you happy in 2020. Um, I'm extremely fortunate to have a beautiful wife. She's patient with me. Um, she's had my back since we met. Um, she's supported the podcast, reluctantly, uh, since day one. Um, but... I feel like I've, I've kind of found a home podcasting. Um, I'm in no way the best podcaster out there. I'm still working on things, you know, I'd say um to one too many fucking times occasionally. Uh, but this is uh, something different. So I'm, I'm excited for what's to come for the show. Starting with our guest this week. His name's Tom Williams. He's part owner of DesertIslandSurvival.com. So... He told us tells us all about this this website that he has. It's basically like a travel type deal. Um, it's a little bit more than that. So it's gonna he's gonna talk ab- about it during the show. We talk a little bit about that. He was a really nice guy. Um, came on and and you know it was really light, really nice, funny guy. So it was a good conversation. Um, there's even a part of the show that will really make my mom uncomfortable. So we talk about that in the show. Um, and that's one of the, my favorite things. So I love you, Robin. But um, it, it's yeah. So you got to listen to the show. So I even got to explain what Gilligan's Island was. Um, he's not from the U.S., so he wasn't really sure what that was. So I looked like a big fucking nerd because I knew what that was, and I'm you know not that old. So I have told you this all year long. This is not a podcast about island survival skills. It's the itty bitty podcast. It's anything but. And it starts now. Welcome to the Itty Bitty Podcast. 
Well, Tom, thanks for coming on the Itty Bitty Podcast. Um, you're here today to talk about desert island survival. Um, is that... My pleasure. Say that one more time. My absolute pleasure. Awesome. So... F- f- it- Desert Island Survival doesn't feel like something you kind of get into by accident. Um, So I guess we should probably start with how did you get into Desert Island Survival? (laughs) I I guess um, having many jobs in the past that left me feeling uh, pretty pissed off and unfulfilled and, and kind of always thinking what would my dream job be and then working to eventually craft, um, craft that job. Um, I, I'd always like had that childhood fantasy of being marooned on a desert island. And I, I figured I wasn't alone. Um, like no one has original ideas. And, uh, I, I looked online and there were a couple of companies that were offering it once a year. Um, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. It was like on beaches, on, on islands, which already had big populations on. And I went on their trips. I thought that's cool, but I could do this better. And, um, and yeah, put together what I thought would be a, uh, a cooler experience. So it started as a hobby and you just kind of built it into a business. Yes. I, when I started it, I always, I guess I set it up as a passion project of just, this would be a really nice way to spend quality time with cool people, um, in beautiful parts of the world. And then quickly realized that there was way more demand out there um, than than I initially thought and that it could become a real proper business. So I guess tell people a little, a little bit about what you your company offers, because I know we've been yeah, you know, kind of saying uh, des- <laughs> Desert Island Survival. I don't think people kind of know what we're talking about here. I read into it on the website. It sounds amazing. Um, so I think you should probably explain it better than than I can because yeah, it's our company. Sure. So. so so we provide Desert Island experiences currently in uh, Panama, Tonga, which is near Fiji in the South Pacific, uh, French Polynesia in the middle of the South Pacific. And we're just launching an island, which isn't on our website, but we're, we're launching it next month in the Philippines, in Palawan. Oh, nice. and, and what we do is a uh, it's a 10-day experience. The first and the last day are in a really nice hotel that – feels like a 10-star hotel when you get back from the island. Um, <laughs> and the the eight days in the middle are on the, the desert islands. And we, we choose beautiful, picturesque, perfect islands, which are uninhabited um, and safe um, and, and just stunning. And uh, the eight-day experience is, is cut into two parts. The first is five days of kind of survival light it's um it's a training phase where you're sleeping in hammocks we're providing your meals and we're, we're kind of imparting the survival skills so we're teaching you um how to build a shelter and beds and how to make fire by friction using bow drill and hand drill and also how to just generally how to build a fire um how to find food how to make traps catch fish um build fish traps and get into coconuts find water all this stuff so five days of, of just fun and learning survival skills we, we party we, when you the coconuts open we have pina coladas play beach games um and so after five days we kind of gradually build up people's confidence and, and make them feel like they could survive on a desert island right and then it gets pretty serious we uh we take away those hammocks we leave you with your machete your hand knife a sap phone um some fish hooks and a medikit 
and you have three days to survive. So we then we we're on the island, but we we take a back seat, and uh, our castaways have to they have to build their shelter, get their food, get a fire going, and survive. Then after those three days, the speedboat comes over the horizon, laden with cold beers and drinks, and you're saved and go back for the best shower of your life. And that's basically <laughs> the. It sounds awesome. I the, instantly yeah. thought like that would be a great bachelor bachelorette party. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's is it something that a lot of people do by themselves? Is it something that people do to meet other people that are interested in this, or is it do you get a lot of groups? We've um we've had both. We've had groups of friends who are always looking for like that really cool experience to do together. Um, we had a group of Dutch guys do that. Had a group of um like a Belgian footballer who plays he plays in France. He booked for him and his friends as like the ultimate experience for them. And then we have most of our customers are just solo travelers who who join um, and no one knows each other. Um, but everyone seems to get on well. It's a good leveler. Do you get repeat customers that, that get addicted to doing it and they just want to do it all the time? <laughs> we never thought that that was a thing. And we get about 20% repeat at the moment. Um, it's a lot of people say it's the best experience of their life. And I think they, you know, they, they, they chase that, that feeling again. And, um, there's something quite nice about just stripping back to real simple living. And after three or four days, just forgetting about any of your woes and problems back home, like it becomes very real, your life on the islands. You're like, you don't think about anything else apart from where's my food, where's my fire, where's my shelter. It's really quite cathartic. And now you said that you're not ever in any real danger. You said it's not like any type of, you know, wildlife that's going to get you anything like that. I mean, there is always danger. Um, right. we, we do want to choose islands that are as safe as they can be. Um, so, yeah, we wouldn't we, we, we custom choose our islands. So if there was pit vipers and cobras, I found these awesome islands in Indonesia that ticked every box apart from they had fucking pit vipers, Ooh, um, shit. <laughs> which are just yeah which is just not what you want. I mean, right. you, can, you can be really savvy um, and, and, and these guys can still kill you. So yeah, we, we choose, I mean, the island in Panama, for example, has the world's most dangerous apple called the Manchinil, um, but it's pretty easy to avoid that. <laughs> um, we just educate you on, 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 on that. And we've had, um, uh, we had a guy stand on a stingray before, but again, it's not, it's nothing that's um, deadly. Right. Um, Obviously, Steve Irwin would disagree, but <laughs> in general, yeah, we, we choose islands to to not have any significant dangers. So are there like levels of dis difficulty or is it, um, you know, pretty standard across the board for, for every experience? Uh, at the moment, we, we, we are looking at putting like an extreme package together. Um, the difficulty comes with the time of year. So in Panama, in the rainy season, we've had people... We don't normally run in the rainy season, but for private bookings, we we will, and uh, and it's tough. Like the, the bugs, the insect life is is significantly greater. Um, obviously, yeah, you're soaked to the skin sometimes, and the exposure can be tough. Um, and we and also we also let for the final three days instead of being with a group, we have people do that solo. So spending three days just on your own. Um, which not, I mean, you ask someone if they've ever spent three days without talking to another human and they're like, huh, you know, I don't think I've done that. So there's the mental solitude and then also your own responsibility of having to get that fire going yourself. And, 
Um, and, and those people also can choose to even have less kit with them as well. Um, so yeah, you can ratchet it up. Now, I think that that would be perfect for Americans. Americans love extreme shit. I mean, I don't know if you heard about the haunted houses recently. There's one that it's basically like a torture chamber. You sign your life away okay. and you go through it and they can do pretty much anything they want to you in there. And uh, it, there was like a prize for $20,000, which is it's not worth it to do that for $20,000, uh, especially when you basically sign your life away. So Americans love that shit. You can get people to do that shit all day. <laughs> It's amazing what people will pay for. Yeah, your sounds <laughs> um, a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, this is a lot more enjoyable and maybe more more like self discovery, and you won't be scared shitless. But um, yeah, uh, it sounds like that Black Mirror episode. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really full up. Yeah, it's just fucked. Um, so tell me a little bit about you know, how long have you been? You know, uh, are you were you did you start as a traveler? Were you somebody that was into hikes? What kind of what's your background as far as um, outdoors and stuff goes like, you know, why should people trust you with um, their life? I guess. Yeah. Good question. So, I mean, yeah, just a normal, I mean, I, I used to uh, work in as a scuba instructor and a snowboard instructor and did like cool jobs like that. And then I settled with a really uh, soulless job selling software in the UK and, um, the cap didn't fit. And I felt like that was just not where I wanted my life to go. So I was, um, drunk with a friend and he said he was going to walk to the North Pole and I said alright I'll join you let's do it and in 2010 I well for two years I trained um, to to walk to the North Pole and ended up um, yeah, racing to the North Pole in 2010 which I guess was the, the catalyst for a lot of this it, after doing that I couldn't really go back to a truly normal job um, and it taught me a lot about um, the psychology of survival um, and expedition management um, but I don't have any uh, background from the forces. I'm, I'm all self-taught. I've I've been lucky enough to um, the guy who runs. So I, I run about half the trips myself. And at the moment, it's another guy called Tom Tom McElroy who runs uh, the other half of our trips. Um, he's one of the most competent uh, bushcraft guys in the world. Um, and I've been lucky enough to spend ten weeks living on desert islands with him now, and and, and learn a lot from him. Um, so, so yeah, that that's really my background. I used to live in Chile. Up in for the last ten years, I've been living in Chile in South America. Okay. Um, and do a lot of expeditions in the in Patagonia in the mountains there and down rivers kayaking with with groups of friends. Um, I think that helped give me the confidence to to set up this business as well. Um, we set up three years ago, so we're still quite young. We've run fifteen expeditions so far, uh, and everyone survived. <laughs> <laughs> So it just kind of stemmed from a lack of fulfillment in the current job that you had. You just kind of were kind of wanting to get into something new and, and this was it. Yeah. I kind of feel like life's not a dress rehearsal and this is your one shot. And, um, and I wanted to do something that could yeah make me feel happy and fulfilled and, and, and ended up doing something that I think it has quite meaningful impacts on people as well that I didn't really expect to happen. Um, the having that time that disconnect really makes people reflect on their lives as well and we've had people make significant lifestyle changes like um had a guy who was he couldn't run a length for the beach um and now he does ultra marathons um and we've had a person like leave their job and people come very environmentally conscious like, it's quite surprising um 
the, the impacts that the expeditions have. Well, people spend a lot of time on their phones now. And so it's anytime you yeah. take away. So do you make people take away? I mean, obviously, they're not able to use, you know, phones and devices. But do you make people leave all that stuff behind? Just they have to basically come. Like, how do people show up to to this uh, expedition, basically? Yeah. So um, they, they can bring their phones because for so many people now, that's their, their primary camera. Um, and we, if there is one island we use that has some, um, reception on, on, on the Northern beach. And so we take away their, their SIM cards, their chips, um, on, on, before going on the island, but otherwise we let them bring, um, whatever they want really within reason for the first five days. Like we've had people bring like inflatable unicorns and, um, (laughs) like their, their favorite booze and, um, for the first five days, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's easy going. Um, we want people to really have fun at the end of the day. Um, and it's only for the final three days that we're a little bit more militant and, um, and they will just take in the clothes on their back and machete, hand knife and, and the other items I mentioned. So now when you're, you're saying you're, you get a little bit more militant, do you, are you on the island and actively engaging with people on a regular basis or do you kind of show them how to do something and then you kind of go off into the background yeah so for those first five days we're holding their hand and we're, we're building up their confidence and we're we're making sure that they're ready like we they, they need to be able to get a fire going um so we're we're honing their um their skills to get like a the hand drill or the bow drill fire um and then for the final three days, they really won't see us. We we try to to remain kind of anonymous, so they feel like they are on their own and marooned, and they have to they have to work this out for themselves. And and we only want to hear from them on the on the sat phone if there is a medical emergency. Um, we we really want to create that feeling of of disconnect and and isolation. I was picturing you like creeping. In, in the bushes just like being a voyeur <laughs> watching people like dressed in a ghillie suit or something like that like <laughs> uh, has been <laughs> you could start setting up like booby traps and shit like you know set up like a net and stuff for people to get caught up in that would be like a new little twist to add on to things it's an option we're, we're gonna do uh, <laughs> we're gonna do like treasure hunts um oh nice on one of our next trips as well yeah, like, like I said, yeah. it sounds like something that would be awesome with a group of people. Like I know a group of people that I could get together to do it, and the prices don't seem like they're that bad. I mean, for for what you're getting, um, I was actually surprised at, at what the prices were on on the website. Um, right. It's it's. Um, oh, go ahead. I was going to say what we one of the promotions which we've only run on an email campaign. We haven't actually put it on our website, but. Um, we will be adding is uh, if you can get a group of seven friends, then you go for free. So if you're a you know a, a guy who can who can or girl who can persuade their mates to um, to all come to a desert island with them, then then you get your spot for free. Oh, nice! So it would be a little bit cheaper for the group if you all split, go in on the the total cost. You can check. Yeah. Nice. Sure. So, has anybody done anything that's really stupid? um i i have you (laughs) i (laughs) i um i macheted through the tendon on my finger on the first night of an expedition that was that was that's an ideal um i had to run i went to the clinic got three stitches and then had to run the whole of the rest of the trip with kind of a a, a really 
mangled finger. Um, but it, it went on. It was fine. We had a guy put a, a fish hook through his finger. Um, oh, so we had to. They're the only two evacuations we've had to have, and both returned to the island. Um, mm, no, I don't. I, other than that, like, I don't think we've had anything really stupid. No. <laughs> well, it's probably because you don't. You said that alcohol comes at the end, right? Well, we yeah, we. I mean, we go for a full expedition briefing of what what's expected on the islands, um, and we do have alcohol for the first five days. We we pass a bottle of rum in the evening, but um, we like people to get merry, but not drunk. It's right. not a place to uh, to be getting drunk, drunk, because it's obviously there is inherent dangers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just nice to get a glow and to get the chat going around the fire right. on the first nights. Um, do you? And we we oh no, play go some ahead. silly beach games as well. What type of beach <laughs> games? Um, there's one like a uh, from the Eskimo Olympics called Stick in the Bum, which is brilliant. Where you uh, you you sit back to back um, with your hands tied and your knees up, and then a, a stick between your knees, sorry, b- between your legs, and you have to shuffle around and get the uh, stick into the other person's bum. Um, <laughs> it's really funny to watch. That's funny. <laughs> I think you've got to see it to understand it. <laughs> no, I could. I I pictured it. Um, I I can imagine that trying to do that in the sand too is probably not the yeah. easiest thing in the world. And once you fall over, you can't get back up. Right. So the other person on a very slow hunt to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what are some of the misconceptions that people have when they, you know, they show up to do one of these trips? What are something that they think, you know, that people usually say that they they didn't think was going to happen or, you know, something that people were surprised by on these trips? Well, we have loads of people booking who say, I just want to do one day training, two days training, and then I just want to go straight into the survival phase. I'm, I'm not interested in, well, I don't need to learn much stuff. I, I just want to go and survive. And, um, and then when the reality strikes, when they, when they come to the islands, they feel entirely different. They're like, oh, just, I got so much more out of the training phase. It was really the enjoyable part of the trip. Um, and we have, yeah, we've had like a group of these eight Dutch guys who all insistent that, they didn't want to do the training much, and and then afterwards we we couldn't we couldn't even kick them out of camp to go and do the isolation phase. So like, can we just stay here with you guys? <laughs> um, uh, I think, yeah, I think the yeah the reality of survival is is, is a is so much time in the day when you're um, yeah when you're when you're just working out where your next meal is going to come from the. Yeah, the training and um, skill development is just so much more fun. I think is is what I what I've seen. And I saw on the website that people can swim with humpback whales and shit. Is that something that happens seasonally? That's yeah. That's only in our Tonga destination. Okay. It's um the the island chain we go to is uh, amongst the best in the world for for swimming face to face with humpback whales. So it would be it'd be churlish to go all the way there and not do it um so the first day we uh we set off at 8 a.m and we spend until 3 p.m swimming face to face in in groups of four with these these gentle giants it's unreal experience and then when everyone is just stoked and buzzing we we go straight from straight on that boat to the desert island where we have a pig um starting to roast ready for them 
and everyone gets their hammocks up and we have a little bit of a yeah set of celebratory starts to that expedition it's a it's a really cool cool way to start so once things get kind of real on the island what what can people expect as far as what they're going to be eating so you said that they get pig at the beginning but what about once things get you know kind of difficult yeah i think that's another expectation like people people think that desert islands are going to be bountiful of fruit and and uh had a group the, the belgian guys were like where are the monkeys we want to eat the monkeys there aren't monkeys they wanted to eat um, monkeys yeah they were an unusual group they That's did bring me a pelican which had a broken <laughs> wing asking how to cook a pelican um but uh yeah the i mean the reality is that that food is is fairly scarce on on remote islands obviously the, the oceans are your best source of food they're bountiful and there's plenty of fish and shellfish and crustaceans and lobsters um uh, on land obviously there's an abundance of coconuts um so there's a much coconut as you can you can basically eat but carbohydrates are the problem they're so rare in nature like every continent has worked out its way to get carbohydrates from rice in asia to potatoes in south america and grains in europe and um so to find carbs is is extremely tough and without carbohydrates getting energy to um to get yourself going to get that food is 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 difficult so we we normally will give people a a small bit of um, manioc like yucca a root vegetable which they could they have to decide how they're going to cook and how they're going to divide it out throughout the expedition. But um, otherwise, there's wild edibles. There are, I mean, we do have mangoes and dragon fruit at different times of year, but the seasons are short, um, and that's in Panama. And then there's other little plants which we eat, um, like a little uh, succulent called sea purslane that grows up the beach and sea beans. But um, but yeah, it's not it's not bountiful the food I guess. So you, I just want to you go back to something you just said um, in the middle of all that. Did you say that you you cooked a pelican? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they yeah they brought me this pelican, um, and we yeah we spit roasted it over the fire. With, they brought with them like a Nando's rub, which is like a almost like a Kentucky Fried Chicken spice mix. <laughs> um, so yeah, we had a Nando's pelican um it was one of the most surreal monday mornings of my life having this just like serious champions league footballer bring me a pelican asking how to cook it my mom is gonna be not happy about this podcast she she loves pelicans that's like one of her favorite animals so it's gonna make me happy i'm gonna tell her i'm gonna make sure that she listens to this one <laughs> i'm sorry no it's sorry um it had a broken wing so well yeah was, i mean what are you gonna do at that point so i guess I guess, yeah, it stopped it dying slowly and suffering. Yeah. So, I mean, she'll understand that's what we, that. That's what we can tell Barry's mom. <laughs> no, it's fine. I live to make her uncomfortable, so it'll be it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so, has anybody ever showed up uh, dressed as the cast of Gilligan's Island? Uh, I haven't seen Gilligan's Island. Does that mean, like... Um, like <laughs> no, what is that? Like, like it's, a pirate kind of outfit? Uh, it's an it's a show from back in the I think it was like the fifties or sixties and in, in a, it was an American show about a group that gets uh, uh, shipwrecked. So it's Gilligan. There's uh, Gilligan the Skipper. I don't know how I know all this. Gilligan the Skipper, Mary Jane, 
ginger there's a bunch of them there's like a doctor who's not really a good doctor but anyway it's just basically them trying to get off this island it's an old sitcom from back in the day but they all had like pretty um you know outfits that would stand out that you'd know i think he wore like a red shirt and like a a white hat so it was pretty pretty obvious (laughs) but i'll educate myself i'll educate myself on that we um we've had quite a few people bring with them uh the wilson volleyball oh um, yeah i was gonna i was gonna be my next question i was gonna move to something and we had um, and we had a woman once who she had booked for her husband she wasn't really into it as much as him and she turned up with a like on the speedboat to the desert island, not to the hotel before, but on the speedboat with a, a like a Jimmy Choo handbag, big Chanel earrings, um, a massive like glamour hat, and she brought with her a huge mirror so she could do her makeup for an hour every morning. Oh my like, goodness! Totally, the antithesis of our normal like cast away. It was quite unusual, but she was she was hardcore in the end. She did good. Yeah, my wife would fucking love it. She would be all about it. I was telling her about um, doing this podcast, and she was checking out the website she was really interested in it so that would somebody nice. she'd love to do yeah um oh we'll see you guys on the island it's a real um we you know we, do you know marmite's the products in the uk we have this weird spread that we put on toast it sounds um, familiar but no what, uh, what is that oh it's like a yeast extract it sounds disgusting and for many people it is disgusting but i love it most like they have a campaign which is you'll love it or you hate it and mm. uh, and i think this experience is it's very cut and dry like people some people I'm like, oh my God, I've never wanted to do something so much in my life. And other people are just like, what? People pay to do that? Um, and it's, yeah, it really splits people down the middle. Um, have you had anybody who wanted to leave early that was just like, I don't, I'm out, I, this is not what I signed up for? Um, one, on the very first expedition, I had basically friends and family come on the trip. And um, the one of the guys... For the final three days, he was like, oh, this would be a good chance to lose some weight. I'm not going to eat anything. And um, for three days, he didn't eat. And uh, he just got really low and depressed, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was ready to tap out when the boat was going to be there the next morning. Um, and so I made him a hot chocolate, had a chat with him, and he was suddenly just back in the game and, and fine. Um, but, um, but yeah, we actually, the very last expedition we did with these footballers, I there was a significant breakdown in communication, I guess, between the footballer's agent and the travel agent and myself. And when we did the expedition briefing, they said, um, "Oh, you're going to be on the island with us. We don't need you. We don't. We we we're okay." I was like, "Look, guys, we've got to do the training." Anyway, long. These are the guys who brought me the pelican. Um, they they rejected the training and on day one just went onto the other side of the island and um, and then came to us to do um, some training throughout the day. But, um, but yeah, these guys wore, it was rainy season. They wore full like raincoats and stuff, never let their skin breathe. They started to get rashes all over themselves. Mm. Um, they didn't speak much English. It was a mess. Um, it was a real shame because three of the guys were really good and, and, and wanted to stay. But by day four, these guys tapped out the first people to not make it. Oh, wow. So it was uh, the only time we've had anyone not finish the, the expedition. Well, I feel like that's kind of on them. If you rush through everything and you just jump into the hard stuff, I mean, you're kind of asking for it. it. Exactly. It helped to like kind of ratify the, the, 
the the gentle kind of um, inroad way that we we managed expeditions of survival light and building up your confidence and skill set because they were just making mistake after mistake that just made their life miserable on the island mm. and uh, yeah it was frustrating for everyone really and the guy who had organised it and paid for his friends to fly first class around the world for like seventy thousand euros he was he was really um, he was really apologetic and just unhappy that it it ended up this way it was a real shame yeah. Um, have you ever had any like Lord of the Flies type situations where people just start turning on each other after so many hours? <laughs> no one's eaten anyone yet. No. Um, it's funny that like you get some, we get really conflicting characters who you would, in the in the real world I guess wouldn't get on. Um, like we've had like billionaires and um, and and builders and plasterers in the same group and. It's something about like when you strip back everything and you live that simple existence together and you've got the same common purpose and goal of just feeding yourself and people get on. And I guess when I guess things can't be tough enough, like you do start to see as people get tired and, 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 and hungry that they're a little shorter and more um, uh, difficult with each other. But in general, people get on really well. The only kind of bickers and, and arguments we've had have been groups of friends i think when you know each other well you're more inclined to um to lay into each other but uh but no in general like it's pretty harmonious it's quite surprising nice now do you have any plans to add any type of other like survival um expeditions like you know say in the snow i mean that doesn't sound as fun but like you know for people who are, want a hardcore adventure um have you ever thought about doing anything like that it's definitely like in the pipeline long term, but I think there's there's quite a few companies already doing that stuff, and we we want to stay pretty clear on message that we're about tropical desert islands. Um, as long as we can find new tropical desert islands to offer this experience, then then that's what we're going to stick with. I think the, one of the challenges is finding those perfect islands. Um, we're always on the hunt for them, but it's 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 difficult like you i call it the goldilocks zone where it has to be you know close enough to tourism that we can get people in there and we can get people to a uh, a clinic or hospital if there's a problem and there's nice hotels and stuff but not too close that we've got people turning up on the island and boats going past and it doesn't feel like you're marooned um, as well as then not having dangerous insects or pirates or whatever it may be like we um that's that's the challenge so yeah if, if islands become too scarce and i guess we would branch out okay so it's more about like having fun and and learning something um and kind of taking away something from the experience rather than going on like a, a hardcore excursion i mean it, it's definitely hardcore um it's definitely tough but i think for many people who have there's there's a, there's a romance that comes with the tropical desert island and i think that there's there's many people that that watch this on TV and think oh, I could do that or I'd want to do that but then when they if they look at yeah tundra survival or jungle survival that they're, they're, they're not so drawn I think this makes it I think this makes people who who may not normally think of this kind of experience or holiday do it and um and I think yeah I think that for I mean for us obviously if there's demand and we can fulfill that demand then, then we don't see a need to change is this the only uh, thing that you, you you're doing right now? Is this your full time? This is your yeah. Your, yeah? yeah. Now, yeah. how does that work as far as are you 
gone all you know on the road a lot are you you traveling a lot for this or do you kind of have a a home base where you kind of you know where you're able to get everything done yeah so i mean i've got a wife and kid i've got a three and a half year old and uh, yeah so you gotta balance that too set up (laughs) set this up just before he was born and we agreed that i would do five expeditions a year and that's that's my limit that's so that's 60 days away from my family on on islands um, as well as uh, scouting and wrecking for new islands as well. Um, we just we just relocated to Thailand uh, two months ago, where I'm, I'm speaking to you from now, and we're here to um, to find islands across Southeast Asia. So, oh nice. Um, when my when my son breaks up from school in in March, we're going as a family across Indonesia to um, to scout some new islands. So, gonna try and yeah make it Swiss Family Robinson kind of experience. Okay. <laughs> that would be cool. That sounds like a yeah. lot of fun. We get a lot of inquiries from families wanting to do this as well. We haven't we we're, we're working on putting that kind of experience together as well. It'd be a good way to um, you know, teach your kids about survival. Um it's, I mean that's stuff kids should know anyway for for just basic. Sure. I was in boy scouts. I wasn't a very good boy scout, but um, <laughs> I think I got kicked out, but, um, uh, I did learn some stuff. I know how to make a fire and, it, you know, those type of skills come in handy. You never know when you're going to need them. Absolutely. And, and I think just being immersed in nature brings out the very best in kids. Like my, my son will be being a twat and, and then we just, I just take him out for a little walk in the forest here and his mood changes instantly. It's amazing. Like for a reset and it's the same on us. Like we, we live our lives in these concrete jungles and it's it's not good for us and uh and yeah just yeah it really brings out the best in people and kids in particular my um my, my co-instructor tom he he does um classes for inner city kids who are from like problematic families and stuff in the u.s and and many of these like children like, would just not pay attention they'll, they'll have their 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 instructor their teacher with them and and after the class the teacher would be like oh my god how the what the hell have you done like how did you make them so engaged and so involved we've never seen them behave like this it's it's yeah it's quite uh, impactful well it's interesting stuff i mean kids respond to things that are interesting especially if you find a way to make it interesting um yeah so he refers to it cool. as um ndd instead of add so nature deficit disorder <laughs> <laughs> Kind of cheesy, but it, I'm, I'm buying into it. <laughs> no, I mean, I believe that. I mean, if you got kids that have so much energy, and if they're not getting, you know, in America we have recess in school. I think it's like 45 minutes of outside time during the day, and then you're just stuck in a chair, you know, trying to learn something for the rest of the day. And I just, I could never yeah. learn that way when I was a kid. I was always just, you know, I couldn't do it. Um, no. It's pretty fucked up that they then would give them Ritalin and vitamins to to focus them. That is just, in my opinion, barbaric. It's just, yeah, messed up. Drugs are for responsible adults. Huh? I said drugs are for responsible adults. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Um, To be children, but to be uh, (laughs) be chosen to be taken by responsible adults. Right, right. So do you have any cool stories, like not necessarily from your, this business, but do you have any stories from like your own personal adventures? Um, you know, any, like any crazy encounters with wildlife or anything like that? Um, I mean, I could give you a North Pole story. Um, there's a couple. Did you meet but... Santa Claus? 
I did. Yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> that's how you said. That's said that's own... the advertisement right there for the island survival. I met Santa Claus. <laughs> he told me to do this. Here you go. Yeah, you're on the good boy list. Don't worry. <laughs> um, we so um, when I was doing the North Pole race, we um, we had these. So we're walking 370 miles in a race, and we had uh, checkpoints every 130 miles, and. We had just got to this last checkpoint. We were It was perpetual daylight because it was in spring and the sun doesn't set at that time of year. Um, and we were walking like 28 hours and then we'd sleep for four and walk for 28 hours, sleep for four. And we got to this last checkpoint and we realized we were in the lead by three hours. And um, we had our obligatory like 12-hour break and then we set off to walk the last uh, 90 miles and we decided to win the race we wouldn't sleep for 90 miles and so oh, we uh, off we went and after like 30 hours of walking we'd walk for two hours stop for five minutes walk for two hours stop for five minutes we started to hallucinate quite amazingly like it's the strongest drug i've ever taken is sleep deprivation and um and we saw a polar bear <laughs> in front of us which was standing up and, and pushing through the ice and we could we were like adamant that it was hunting for seals and uh and so we edged closer taking photos taking photos and then like shouting and hitting our skis together and then after like 20 minutes of doing this we we're like it's a piece of fucking ice. Oh my God. And we just <laughs> completely lost it from this, uh, from sleep deprivation. And then from there, we all had a fourth person in our presence. We had, um, you could see houses and uh, like chairlifts, like ski slope chairlifts. Jeez. And I think when you're, um, when the, like it's such, it's like being a stasis. The, you've just got white and then gray sky at times. You can't even see horizon and your brain starts to paint this blank canvas for you. Um, and it's really, really, really disconcerting and confusing. Okay. Anyway, we carried on. We ended up walk 45 hours and we got hit by a storm and we were, we were set to win the race. Um, well, set to beat the world record for the race by five hours. Um, and then the storm hit us and we were on skis, pulling sledges behind us. And, uh, the wind was so strong in our face that the skis started to slip backwards and we couldn't get purchased. So we had to take our skis off and put them on our sledge. Oh, and then shit. we're walking in the snow and sinking like six inches with every step. And it's obviously the most tiring thing. Like when you sink like that in snow and what should have taken us two hours took us seven hours and eventually yeah after 52 hours we made it to the finish line without sleeping um 52 we hours wreck, but we had won the race we won the race by like two and a half days Holy um shit. and missed the world record by two hours and 20 minutes <laughs> i thought you were gonna say you guys passed out right at the finish line like right as you're gonna get there y'all fell asleep and didn't make it but <laughs> <laughs> well Interestingly enough, we did. I, so we got into the tent. We fell asleep. Like they, they had a tent ready, ready for us because we couldn't put up our tent in the storm. Um, and we fell into the deepest sleep of our lives. And then two hours later, they come in and they wake us up. They're like, you've got to get up. The tent's beginning to lift. The storm is getting worse. And we're like, shut up. You, you can't be serious. I can't go out there. I'm, I'm, and we, we, we had to. We were useless. But we had to go out there and help like reattach the, um, the guy ropes. And it was insane. Still like a bad dream. I can't believe it happened. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Now, at this point, so you're out of the snow 
and now you are on to the beaches. Are you just, so when you're not working, are you sick of the beach? Like, is that not where you want to be on <laughs> your family vacation? Well, I mean, we, so we've just moved to Chiang Mai in the north, which is about as far as you can get away from the beautiful beaches of Thailand. So I guess that's, that's one indicator, but no, I'm, I, I guess I'm never happier than when I'm on a beach, but okay. I, I do, I do feel differently about beaches now after seeing isolated, um, beaches and their kind of natural form. I always never feels the same when you go to like a manicured beach resort or anything. I, I kind of miss how islands used to be and, and always kind of trying to imagine what the, what it would have used to like, look like. Um, it's kind of, I guess that's marred my, my feeling towards beaches a little bit. <laughs> mm. So in a perfect world, where would you see this business going as far as, you know, as, would you want to expand? Would you want to add, you know, new things? What, what, what do you see for yourself as far as what this business is going to be doing? So my five-year goal is to get to um, 30, 35 expeditions a year. Um, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not like desperately driven by money. It's that, that's more than a, that's, that's ample. And I think I would happily kind of cap it around there. Um, if, if, if we could, if we could get there and get that demand and I want to have, um, five different Island destinations that really have their own character. And so, um, like a Polynesian one that really involves, um, traditional Polynesian bushcraft from you know, building, building their kind of, um, dugout canoes and and learning specific fire techniques like the plow from them um so yeah having five amazing destinations all with their own identity um and capping out around 35 trips that would be that'd be great nice now what as far as places you've been and places that you want to go i'm sure sure you probably haven't been everywhere that you want to go what are some places that are on your list of of places you want to travel before you die um, so the, the next place, well, top of my list at the moment is to go to, to Raja Ampat in, in Indonesia. I still haven't been there, um, which is, uh, I, I love marine ecology and it's, so the, the coral triangle is where like coral first evolved. Um, and so it's where all marine life basically spread out from, they, they, they believe. And so it's where you have the greatest diversity of, of marine life and some of the just weirdest, coolest animals. Um, I really, really want to go there and you can do this thing called critter diving where, I mean, there's communities that are still throwing all their, their, their trash into the ocean, but you can just snorkel around like plastic bottles and see unreal, strange seahorses and stuff just, just kind of straight there. Um, I, I'm desperate to go and, and explore the, the oceans around Rajampat. Nice. You said that's Indonesia? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, in central Indonesia, North Bali. Okay. And it's also got like striking scenery, like big limestone kind of t towered islands as well. It looks stunning. Besides the stuff that you hallucinated, what what was some of the the cooler <laughs> the cooler things that you've seen like as far as was it like a certain sunset that you might that might have stuck with you or you know, uh, was it like yeah, that, an encounter with uh, nature or something? That was one of the cool things. So with the perpetual daylight at that time of year at the North Pole, the the sun would set, but never actually completely set. So we'd have like a five or six hour sunset where it would skirt the horizon, oh, carry yeah. on for eight years and then come back up. So you had these yeah, extremely long sunsets, which was really cool. Oh, um, I think you were tripping, bro. And, 
Sorry, man. I think you were tripping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to know what was reality. We definitely did see a, uh, a polar bear and its um, two cubs. It was on, like we were walking down this big glacial fjord, um, which had loads of jagged ice in the middle, like a, maybe about 800 meters. And we were walking up one side and the mother was walking up the other side with its two cubs. And um, it kept on standing on its hind legs and sniffing around. We, we did take photos that generally are a polar bear of that one. Um, <laughs> you have and, and then cool. just a bunch of a ice. Huh? And then just a bunch of pictures of ice. Yeah, I, I'm going to send it to you. I still think it looks like a polar bear. I'll send it to you after the school. <laughs> That's funny. So, the, the, I'll put it on your uh, on the link. Nice. How far away were the were the polar? Are they aggressive, especially with their cubs? Or not like they they yeah. didn't want anything to do with you? Um, yeah, if they feel that you're in any danger to their cubs, they will they will kill you. I mean, that's another thing. Like, so we would sleep in these tents, which are just you know. Um, a flimsy nylon film and um, we we had a, a, a shotgun pump action shotgun with us uh, with single slug like one inch across um, ball bearings effectively but, oh, okay um, and we we saw polar bear prints um, quite a lot but um, obviously nothing ever happened with us but um, they're, I mean they're the only mammal that actively hunts humans on on land on, on purpose and um, yeah if they, oh, they will smell hunt us you? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and the team who came second, there's another story from the trip. They were so they were following our our ski tracks, um, and on top of our ski tracks were polar bear prints where we were being oh. we were being followed by bear, but we had no idea. Um, and then they would see this polar bear would like veer off onto like a um, when it found like a little hill, like a lump. It could then look around and then come back on and follow our tracks. And, um, oh, and so these guys were shitting it. They had their, they had their, uh, shotgun out in case that the polar bear, um, was going to go for them. And they, um, there was an article about this in the, the Guardian newspaper in the UK that they, they submitted. So they were, they were going along and they saw, they saw the polar bear running towards them from like 80 meters away and just started charging towards them. So they went through the drill that we've been taught, which is you shoot the, um, rifle up into the air and normally the noise is just enough to scare the polar bear right um but it just kept on running at them kept on running and um and so they was like fuck okay shot the gun again in the air and it didn't do anything it just kept on running so the third they had four shots four, four slugs in the um shotgun the third shot they sh shot into the ice in front of the bear and the the ice kind of breaks up and, and hits the bear in the face um and fortunately it's stopped the bear running towards them and they had the final bullet ready to to dispatch the bear if they had had to and obviously no one wants to kill a bear and well we met a hunter up there who had paid fifty thousand dollars to kill a bear but not many people want to kill a bear no fuck and, that uh, if that uh, thing's running at me yeah. i'm giving you one fucking warning and then the next shot's going right in your fucking bear face <laughs> absolutely yeah if it's me or the bear 100 <laughs> percent um and you can't shoot it in the in the skull because it will bounce off oh really normally so you have yeah, they have very, very thick skulls. So you okay, have to how shoot, do I kill a polar bear? Um, yeah, and it's jugular. Jugular, But the bear okay. stops, it turned around, and um, and then it was joined by its, like, they think sibling, like brother or sister, and the two bears circled them for the next two, three hours, um, just kind of working out what to do until they eventually got bored and left them. But, um, but yeah, the other the other guys behind came across their tracks, saw the shotgun shells, were like, what the hell has happened here? 
Um, but yeah, they got away with it. Damn, that's intense. Yeah. Uh, so after all that, um, what would you say, I guess, to people thinking of maybe leaving a job that they they aren't satisfied with or uh, maybe that they, they're, you know, kind of just they don't like it. It's just a job that they hate. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to do this while I was working a job. So I had a job that I had um, worked on commission. And so I had a, a sliding scale between time and money and I could allocate more time towards setting up this business while still having a safety net of an income. And I think anyone that can use their spare time whilst they've still got an income to to set up their passion projects, then just go for it. Um, the, the only way to really learn all the elements of, of, of running a business, I feel, are, are through immersion. Like the, the founder of LinkedIn said that being an entrepreneur is like jumping off a cliff and learning to build a jumbo jet on the way down. And I think it is the case. Like you just got to go for it. Just take that that leap. And there's so much stuff that you you learn very quickly along the way. But if you've if you've got the option to have that like that, that um, concurrent job and and develop your own one, then I would. I would recommend people to do that rather than just quit your job and start up your business. It'll right. be fine. Um, if, if possible. Yeah. But I think, and identify your passion. If you love something enough and you're, you're generally, you'll, there's a, there's a good book called the hundred dollar startup. I'd recommend reading, which like focuses on that, like setting up, um, setting up businesses for, for little to no money, um, based on passion. So while we're uh, getting ready to wrap it up, uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to tell people where, you know, the website name, um, where they can find you. If you have, if you're active on social media, um, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Um, I, the website is desertislandsurvival.com. Um, and through there you can, you can email me at Tom at desertislandsurvival.com. Um, and yeah, I don't really use too much social media. I think I'm called Desert Island Tom on Instagram, but I'm not very active. Um, need to get on that. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on. Um, this is one of my favorite podcasts that I've done so far. Um, super informative. Um, I think that you've got an awesome idea for something that people can do for fun. Um, so I think if anybody's interested in this at all, they should definitely check it out. Um, just go to the website. You'll be definitely interested. It's, you got a beautiful looking website. I checked it out earlier. Um, and it just kind of makes you want to jump on it and, and get it and, and, you know, order tickets right away. So appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your time. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? No, that's all good. I hope to, I hope to see you and your, uh, your girlfriend on the island and, and some of your listeners. Nice. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'll bring my mom too. We can cook up a pelican for her. <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good day. Take care. Awesome. And good to chat. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the last episode of this year. We're going to be right back here with an, a new episode next week. We're not taking a break, um, but it is the last of the year. So I hope everybody has a safe new year. Don't drink and drive. Next week, we're going to be talking about psilocybin mushrooms. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to say it, but magic mushrooms. Um, so if you've ever been curious about mushrooms or you know wanted to know a little bit more about them or if you're a fan of them, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it. I have a little bit of experience with that. So we've got somebody coming on. I, 
they're going to remain anonymous. So we're going to see what they are going to go under the name of. So we're going to get into all types of stuff, you know, farming, um, different types of, of strains, all that stuff. So I have a lot of questions. I, I know a little bit, but I don't know a lot. So that should be an interesting show. We got that coming up next week. Check out ittybittypodcast.com to make sure you subscribe to the show. So subscribe, rate, review, share the show. Um, for 2020, all I ask is that you tell one person about the show. If you really like the show, share the show. Um, tell your friends about it. You know, Share it on Facebook, Instagram, whatever you feel comfortable sharing it on or telling your family about. Um, um, do that. It helps me out immensely. Um, happy New Year, and I'll be back one week from now with a new episode. Bye.